Over 300 years ago, a poorly armed Algerian Muslim leader battled one of the most best equipped armies in the world and against all odds held his ground for a while. The story of that struggle and the legacy of that warrior is one of the greatest stories in Islamic history. The warrior, of course, was Abdul Qadir, an Algerian Sufi. He was more than just a warrior. Abdul Qadir was also a statesman, a diplomat, a Muslim scholar, a strategist, a tactician, and above all, a humanitarian. He was one of the most interesting personalities of the 19th century. And more than that, he matters a lot to the 21st century and to me. I'm Madassa Ahmed from the Toledo Society, and I'm excited to welcome you to the second episode of a three-part series, Who Was Amir Abdul Qadir, the Hero of Humanity? During the time of Charles X, the Imperial French army defeated the Ottomans in Algeria and occupied the country. While the French consolidated their control over his homeland, a young Abdul Qadir was traveling to Alexandria, Egypt and Damascus, Syria, to study with great religious scholars. Abdul Qadir returned, energized by his learning and eager to oust the French from his own homeland. An opportunity presented itself when Abdul Qadir's father was asked to lead a campaign against the French, but he refused and abdicated. That responsibility fell to the young Abdul Qadir instead. In 1832, this 24-year-old young man found himself unexpectedly elected emir or commander of the faithful of all Muslims in Algeria. Abdul Qadir quickly established himself in Western Algeria and used his formidable skill in diplomacy and religion to get the major tribes of his region to unite behind him. The French commander-in-chief, General Dismichel, quickly came round to understand that Abdul Qadir was fast becoming a formidable enemy. Though he had limited technology and weaponry, Abdul Qadir's tactical brilliance in battle pressurized the French to give over an entire province to his control. They figured this would limit Abdul Qadir's influence, but instead this raised his profile and rallied more Algerians to his cause. Very soon, Abdul Qadir was winning the battle for hearts and minds and building a modern society, attracting multi-ethnic and multi-religious talent to his cause. Frustrated by his growing influence, the French appointed a new commander-in-chief and resumed hostilities. Abdul Qadir had no choice but to go to war again. But that's something important to understand. Unlike the world we live in today, back in the 19th century, nations didn't really have fixed boundaries. They were either expanding or contracting. More powerful nations swallowed up weaker nations. There was no United Nations to appeal to, no concept of international law or universal human rights, which makes Abdul Qadir's career all the more astonishing. In 1834, in the scorching heat of summer, French and Algerian forces clashed at the Battle of Makhta, which was a resounding victory for Amir Abdul Qadir. Hostilities continued, but to the disadvantage of the French. At the Treaty of Tafna, the French surrendered even more control to Abdul Qadir, but with one caveat. He would have to recognize French imperial authority. 
That only made him seem more powerful. Now he was negotiating with Paris itself. After this great victory, some of the Emir's followers called on Abdul Qadir to declare himself Sultan. But Abdul Qadir declined the title. He was content in his authority as a spiritual leader and as a leader of the resistance. His job was to understand what God wanted of him and to bring it about in the world. Some religious people are narrow-minded and provincial. The more they believe, the less room they have for people different from themselves. But there is another kind of religious person, the kind of person who starts to think universally and begins to believe all people deserve the same rights. Over the following years, Abdul Qadir's territory expanded across Algeria. And in this land, he built a remarkable state. He convinced Jews and Christians to join him in building his country and running his government. He lived frugally and encouraged others to live within their means. Abdul Qadir shunned accolades for himself, but cultivated scholarship, celebrated poetry, and urged his people to invest in modern education. His new nation of Algeria had much promise, but also had a problem. In 1839, the treacherous French not only violated the Treaty of Tafna, but launched a brutal, scorched-earth campaign to brutalize the Algerian people. Though Abdul Qadir would fight to defend his country and his people, he was unable to effectively counter the French aggression this time. Even when severely weakened, Abdul Qadir upheld morality, decency, and compassion. When he lacked sufficient resources to feed his French prisoners of war, much to their surprise, he released them. He went out of his way to protect houses of worship, as well as priests and nuns. In the end, though, the French were simply too powerful. No matter how remarkable his victories, Abdul Qadir could not sustain a conflict against an industrial war machine. By 1842, Abdul Qadir had lost almost all his territory. In 1847, Abdul Qadir was forced to surrender to the French. Just a few days before Christmas, he agreed to live the rest of his life in exile in Alexandria. That enchanted him when he was a young man. To prove his goodwill, Abdul Qadir even handed over his beloved war horse to the French governor. At his surrender, a sisterhood of nuns joined him. They had been moved by his decency and keen to ensure he was not mistreated. Maybe they had a hunch, a feeling, that the French would betray him. And as it happens, they did. The French went back on their word, though Abdul Qadir had been nothing but faithful to the terms of his surrender. The French captured Abdul Qadir, and instead of taking him to a peaceful exile in Egypt, sent him to France with his family and followers, where they were cruelly imprisoned. Just a quick note regarding Toledo Society. 1400 OMG is one podcast in a network of podcasts called Toledo Society. To find out more, visit ToledoSociety.com. But as news of Abdul Qadir's fate and conditions spread across France, public agitation grew. The Emir was highly regarded by the French elite and famous amongst the French public. He was recognized as a noble leader who had the respect of his countrymen, a man who fought heroically and treated his enemies fairly and with compassion. Here was a man who had put others before himself, his homeland before his pride, 
his faith in God before his own glory. Domestic and international pressure escalated. Even the British government was involved in making the case for the Emir's freedom. In 1852, after almost five years of captivity, then French President Louis-Napoleon Bonaparte released the Emir and his entourage. President Bonaparte agreed to a 100,000 franc annual pension on the condition that Abdul Qadir never again return or interfere in the affairs of his beloved Algeria. It was a bittersweet victory, but the Emir upheld the terms of his release to the end of his life. In 1855, the Emir had settled in Ottoman Damascus. Shortly afterwards, a conflict erupted between members of two religious communities, the Druze and Maronite Christians living in the city. The Emir intervened and played the part of peacemaker. Abdul Qadir not only protected Christians with his tongue, but with his body and at the risk of his life. Many in France were stunned and deeply moved. Here was a man whose homeland they had invaded, who they had imprisoned, who then stood up for their co-religionists in a bloody conflict. Abdul Qadir was elderly and exhausted from years of war and imprisonment, but boldly rushed forward to protect vulnerable Christians in a moment of heated sectarian tension. And all of this at great risk to himself. What was to say Abdul Qadir would not be killed for defending them? What sort of person makes that sacrifice? This was an age when Islamophobia ran rampant throughout Europe. The popular opinion of Muslims was not very good and frequently hostile. Muslim-majority countries were seen as fair game in competitions for conquest and control, and many European intellectuals assumed Islam was inherently backwards, ignorant and regressive. When the French proposed the Suez Canal, Abdul Qadir played a critical role in drumming up Arab support for the massive project. He was present at the opening too. This is a reminder not just of his desire to be a bridge between worlds, but of his ability to think strategically beyond the immediate and into the future. He understood the importance of this project to the Muslim world and threw his weight behind it. It may seem to us that the worlds of the West and of Islam are doomed to misunderstanding, tension, or even outright conflict. But in Amir Abdul Qadir, we find an alternative vision. Rather than encourage tension between Christians and Muslims, he encouraged the Islamic mission of understanding and compassion. And this melted the hearts of the French public and European society, humanizing Muslims. So much so that during his captivity, the citizens of Bordeaux, France, mobilized to have his name placed on the French presidential ballot. They preferred a Muslim Abdul Qadir ruling France in place of its current government. From the Toledo Society, I am Mudassar Ahmed and you have been listening to episode 2 in a three-part series, Who Was Amir Abdul Qadir, The Hero of Humanity? Coming up in our next and final installment, we'll explore how Abdul Qadir became the kind of man he was and how those lessons still speak to us 150 years after his death. Music